0: Hello, you're listening to the State I'm In podcast. I'm Indigo Farah Rosenhunt and for today's episode I'm joined by second year statistics student Dylan Selver. We'll be discussing how this year's A-level results were determined as well as the wider implications of algorithm usage. Dylan.
1: Hello it's great to be here looking forward to talking to you today.
0: So Dylan if you could explain to our listeners and for people like myself who don't fully understand what the algorithm actually was just give us a kind of brief outline of the algorithm used to determine A-level results this year and GCSE results.
1: The essential role of the algorithm was to assign schools uh, a percentage of students that would get each grade for each subject. And this would be transposed with the teacher's ranking of the students of the cohort such that the top X percent of students in those rankings get A stars, the next X percent, XY percent, get A's, then B's, then C's, all the way down to U's.
0: What, what was used to calculate the percentage of students that would get whatever grade?
1: The first thing that was considered was the historic long run average of the percentage of students in a particular cohort in a particular school getting a particular grade. I. historically school ABC has had 15% of their A-level art students get A-stars. They've had 20% Get A's, etc.
0: Okay, Dylan. That that sounds interesting. I feel like there's something to be said about um, using the, the kind of historical background in terms of how a school performs. Um, we'll we'll get onto that when we discuss the shortfalls because I think that that is something that is fairly controversial or that lots of students disagreed with that element of the algorithm Um, I think in theory I disagree but I want to find out to what extent Um, so yeah continue
1: I think that is something to disagree with in theory and it's also worth noting that the data used for that was only between 2017 to 2019 for which all not all the modern A-level syllabuses even existed Uh, So for some data, that could only be one. So for some cohorts, that could only just be one year group's worth of data.
0: It would have been our year group.
1: Yeah, it would have been our year group. To get around just slapping the long-term average percentages for each grade for a particular subject onto a particular institution and to try and take into account the strength of this year's cohort, in that institution the variable prior attainment was introduced where those that made the algorithm took GCSE scores from all the students that have sat A-levels from 2017 to 2019, mapped them onto what A-level result they got in that particular subject and used that to assess the current cohort as to what their predicted A-level grades would be based on the results they got for GCSEs. To get around the objection, the obvious objection to the algorithm that you're deciding the grades of students based on those that had previously sat the examinations and that there's no input from them, the variable of prior attainment was introduced in which if the cohort sitting the exam this year got Uh, higher GCSE grades than the previous cohorts they would end up getting a higher percentage of the higher grades allocated for that particular year group.
0: Okay so this makes sense so we're seeing the kind of two-pronged take into account of the student's history and the school's history. The school's performance history is taken into account and this particular cohort's history of GCSEs was also taken into account
1: it's still important to note that the individual student's performance history is not taken into account. And individual students could have performed well on at their GCSEs, but that would only have the effect as to lift the prior attainment variable for the cohort by a little rather than for the individual.
0: I see, I see. So it's... It's more so that say you did particularly well in your GCSEs, A's and A stars, rather than them taking that into account directly when they were determining what A levels they would award you, what grades the A level they would award you. It's more so that a particular student doing well at GCSE just influenced the percentage of students from a particular school that were able to receive the highest grade. There's no direct, super direct correlation there
1: exactly that means there's just, there's simply an extra step in the process but i think we can make the assumption that if a student did well at their gcse and they're doing well at a level that their teacher would put them top in the year group and they would receive their a star or put them wherever they deserved
0: you would assume place. so yeah that makes sense Okay, so what about those students who weren't in a position or didn't sit GCSEs? How was that accounted for?
1: That was accounted for in quite a cop-out way by simply reverting to the long-run averages of the school or college. And these long-run averages were weighted in proportion to the number of students that were not eligible or did not sit GCSEs in that particular school's year group. A real life and completely plausible implication of this is that in a particular area or for a particular school that has a lot of students that weren't eligible for or didn't sit GCSEs before sitting A levels, the proportion of each grade that the cohort was allocated was simply a reflection of the long-run averages of the school's performance before and No prior attainment, in effect, was taken into account.
0: So we can see that there's a problem there in terms of areas where there are lots of international students who have come to the UK to sit their A-levels and also children who are refugees as well who wouldn't have had the opportunity to sit their GCSEs having not lived in the UK up until recently. There is a problem there, definitely.
1: And I consider this a problem inherent to the algorithm and one that should have been obvious when making it because as I look at the equation, the weighting function is clearly an incredibly important part of the algorithm. It's the last step and students that were not eligible for prior attainment assessment were taken into account in the 14th iteration of this algorithm. It seems to me That students who were not eligible for prior attainment assessment were weighted under the assumption that there would only be one or students that weren't eligible for per year, per year. But the way that non-eligibility for analysis of prior attainment truly materializes is in the geographically clustered congregation of immigrant populations, whether that be refugee populations or international student populations that all attend a certain institution. So this essentially nullifies the assumption going into this algorithm that there only be one or two per cohort because you'll have cohorts, whole cohorts that are not eligible for prior attainment assessment and are essentially getting the grades as a cohort that the previous years mm-hmm. received.
0: Okay, so that's definitely, I would say, quite a big shortfall. And now that you're explaining it to me, and now that you have, it seems like something that should have been taken into consideration.
1: Definitely. It definitely seems like something that should have been taken into consideration. I think that there was a sort of fetishization of the prior attainment system Hmm. in terms of the the national percentages of grades that it produced i it produced percentages for each grade that matched previous years which was the overall goal of this algorithm and it became very easy once that had been accomplished to sweep certain large outliers under the rug
0: okay interesting I'm quite keen to also explore the the reportage of the scandal. As it happened, felt like there was a national outcry, essentially, about what felt like thousands of students had been wrongfully graded. What did you think about that, Dylan? What do you think about it now?
1: I thought and I still think that the outcry was very understandable, but unjustified in that every year there are students that don't achieve the grades they were set out to achieve. This year, students have a distance from the reason that they didn't achieve the grades. It felt like someone or some system told them that they weren't going to achieve rather than them failing at their own tests or under their own volition.
0: Totally. So students' detachment from the ability to determine their own fate in a sense and their lack of agency within the whole system could it be said that more so it was a projection of that outcry rather than outcry at the the grace themselves
1: i think this is a coming to fruition of a sentiment that individuals aren't really cared about and it has definitely been a vessel for that sentiment but i think the outcry is very much focused i think on a-levels and going to university. I think the fact that someone has not gotten the A-level grades they needed to go to the university that they've been planning to go to for the past two years would be enough to get a student as angry as they, as they are now. And I think it also hitches on the feeling that young people simply aren't understood by institutions and by politics that doesn't appeal to them.
0: Mm, totally and I think this is a, a cross-generational thing not necessarily just applicable to our generation but also we we quite like to engage in outcry we quite like tragedy real tragedy real life stories of people who lives have been affected by things not of their own doing it's it's a weird kind of it in the sense that pleasure from someone else's pain but not necessarily in the wow it's great they're in pain but in more kind of pleasure in feeling a weird kind of empathy for other people like god that's awful i can't believe that happened and you divert your attention to god the awfulness of the event wow without really kind of taking time to often actually engage in why it happened, the the underlying factors in why something happened, I think that's applicable to lots of news stories. I think it's
1: really interesting that implicit in this form of cathartism is the viewing of government as some sort of otherworldly imposing or even natural force, and that which we have no input or control over. Um, And I think actually seeing the government like that might have actually might have might have contributed to the reason why institutions acted in the way they did or the algorithm turned out the way it did because the government would always be blamed if it went wrong so the whole issue has become completely overly politicized and truly an algorithm that was truly reflective of personal values whilst being predictably, predictably accurate, was quashed in favour of a more authoritative form of research that didn't actually reach out for external input, but kept it behind the doors of a few committees.
0: Mm, mm, kind of bureaucratic mishandling. And I think uh, I liked what you were saying there as well, because the government is is the big other. It's this omnipresent omnipotent force and and we're in a position whereby the only thing we feel like we can do is critique it often
1: i think that though that's very true i'm i very much agree with you the government didn't really help themselves they may end up making quite poor decisions based on a very crude application of this algorithm and when they had the option to seek external help from organizations like the Royal Statistical Society they didn't I just read an open letter by the Royal Statistical Society many of the Royal Statistical Society who had a few members that were involved in the process of the process of making the algorithm who actually withdrew from the process because the government was not or the because the institution was responsible for making the algorithm was not listening to what turned out to be very sound, valid advice simply because there weren't an organisation imbued with political power.
0: Yeah, totally, done. I think that that was really kind of insightful as well in the fact that the government was in a position to consult other people, probably more qualified other people. But as you said, because the Royal Statistics Society isn't doesn't have any political clout, they weren't down to, to kind of have a bit of a collaboration on that.
1: I think what's interesting as we were talking about the politics behind the making of this algorithm is that the government neither chose to take a political stance or a scientific stance they kind of went halfway between they made it overly political they made the making of the algorithm overly political but their political stance was that they were being scientific
0: in what way do you think that they made it overly political or kind of advertised it in that way
1: the pure bureaucracy involved in the making of the algorithm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: simply. In making the issue political, I would have thought that they might make extra steps to imbue it with some sort of healthy political narrative, which they didn't. There was no room for individualism. The algorithm essentially couldn't take into account someone or a group of people, more particularly, that chose to turn their lives around and really get into academics and and, and really study hard between GCSEs and A-levels. It didn't take into account schools that might have improved as a whole, regardless of how the year's cohorts performed in their GCSEs between this year and between the years of 2017 and 2019. And they didn't take into account the roles that teachers play in teaching students and raising the standard of their particular class as students in individual classes just ended up being ranked against each other
0: yeah totally and i think there was a lot of conceptual hypocrisy involved within the algorithm we saw the conservative party and the the bureaucrats responsible abandoning lots of kind of cornerstone elements of usual Tory rhetoric which Thatcherism, rugged individualism, all of those elements didn't seem to be included. Students didn't have an ability to revel in their own individualism and prove everyone wrong um, and overcome hardships and obstacles and and get a place at university and feel like they had worked for it.
1: Agreed. So I think That the outcry is definitely deserved but that that it was a reaction to the wrong facts the outcry was a reaction to the 40% which was actually 37% of grades that were lowered by one or more when this has been much lower than previous years from 2013 to 2015 about 75% of A-level grades were lowered, one or more.
0: I think that's a really controversial point because linking back to the reportage that is not how the it was portrayed to us, the fact that actually this year saw less students downgraded than in previous years is insane.
1: And it's also important to note that the percentage of students grades that were lowered by each magnitude i.e by one two three four even five was lower this year than it had been that than it was between 2013 and 2015. i.e the stories that we see or that we saw in the in the papers about particular students that were expected this grade or expected an a and got a d And the little inferences, the little implicit inferences that we've made in our mind that this is a chronic issue and that loads of children across the country have faced this problem and are feeling hard done by is simply untrue. The percentage of students this year that got their grades lowered by two or more was a measly 3.5 compared to 5276 between the years 2013 and 2015. I think the reporting of this by the media has been damagingly deceiving. It rode the wave of people's initial shock with regards to how many people, how many students missed grades or or dropped grades. And it didn't let people be outraged at the real reason, why the algorithm was flawed the algorithm in terms of the percentage of students nationally getting each grade was brilliant and in that way on the macro level it performed as a brilliant algorithm it cannot be flawed with the with regards to how many students got each grade that matches previous years Mm -hmm. so that line of critique was inherently flawed Mm
0: -hmm. so so I'm making up this statistic, but let's say 10% of students get an A star in history that, that matched this year.
1: Mm-hmm. Fair.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: The question is who got
0: mm, that? Definitely. That's
1: the question. If I could put an analogy forward, say I had an algorithm, the role of which was to guess the gender of a bunch of people in a room and say i i got answers to questions about their day or their daily routine and this algorithm i put them into this algorithm and it had to tell me what percentage of the room was male and what percentage was female it could get that spot on it could tell me that say 50% of the room is male and 50% of the room is female mm-hmm. and and get that 100% correct but in doing so it could have Assigned every female in that room as a male and every male in that room as a female, and it would have still ended up with that correct 50 50 split.
0: So 100% accurate, but still flawed, as we can see.
1: On that macro level, it's producing those aggregate numbers mm-hmm. that are perfect, but on the micro level of what those numbers are actually being assigned to,
0: yeah. of
1: who's actually getting those grades who's actually falling into those categorically perfect proportions that it was clearly
0: failed. I see. So once it's assigned to the students, we see the discrepancy. Interesting. So in terms of who, which students were assigned the top grades, do we see a particular increase in any group?
1: I think that's a uh, pretty important to mention in that the one area of critique that news sources i think had a very good ground to make was the percentage increase in the proportion of a stars being received by each type of school there's this table that's been banded about in quite a few outlets that lists independent schools secondary schools academies secondary comprehensives secondary comprehensives Six forms and other as types of schools, and has uh, a list of the increase in the percentage of A stars that each school received. And by quite a large gap, independent schools received a greater increase in the proportion of A stars that they received than other schools did as a result of this algorithm. All types of schools received a higher proportional increase, but independent schools received a 4.7% increase in the proportion of A stars that they got, compared to uh, 1.2% for secondary selectives, a 1.7% for academies, and a 2% for secondary comprehensive schools. That's a clear difference, and that is evidence for the proposition that the prior attainment algorithm did favour independent schools. Why? Why? The reason why I'd say, or the reason why I think, is because those students that went to independent schools did, in fact, have better prior attainment grades. They had, they got better GCSE results, but that they're not a direct correlate. And by the algorithm... That would mean that they would get better A level results, but that there's not a direct correlation between GCSE and A level results. Independent schools are great at knocking out formulaic GCSE A stars.
0: You would know, Dan.
1: <laughs> a levels examine more individualistic takes on subjects and application knowledge that's harder to teach by formula or teach to the test, where which lets non-independent schools excel where they couldn't at excel relative to independent schools where they couldn't compete at GCSE. I think that this hasn't been written into the algorithm per se but that it seems an obvious and clear consequence from using GCSE results as prior attainment data to influence The proportion of a stars that independent schools would get
0: okay dylan so you've given our listeners lots of really important things to think about but could you summarize for us
1: my opinion on the algorithm was that it performed well at the macro level but it left so much out at the individual level simply because it couldn't be complex enough to take that into account The government was overly ambitious with this predictive algorithm. It was an immature and overly politicized application of algorithmic decision-making in a situation when all that was needed was some prudent and harsh decision-making to say, I'm sorry if this ruins your summer, but you guys have just got to sit your exams in September. I think for me, this blunder will have effects that reach far beyond just this one particular issue, but it won't be seen in that there'll be a general reluctance as a result of this to apply algorithms to public policy, to apply algorithms to lots of situations where they will add value and hence should be used, simply because the government tried to smarty pants their way around making a tough political decision.
0: In terms of the fact that algorithms are able to become politicised is that a reason for us to not use them
1: any decision making process i think any decision making process is very easily politicised
0: so I, I i think the problem here in part is because algorithms within collective thought are seen as something objective, are seen as something reliable, are seen as something that kind of transcends, transcends politics in a sense, and transcends individual belief, but that just simply isn't the case at all.
1: It's not the case at all. It's the very opposite. What it does is it takes individual belief and it makes sure that all decisions are made perfectly in accordance with that individual belief an issue here is that when we are trying to assess quite abstract properties like guilt for example we like to console what is clearly a murky concept by relying on our own individual intuition so when we decide who's guilty we make a decision based on how the facts, the arguments make us feel when all combined together. The issue with applying algorithms is that you have to define the variables that you're looking for that will cause you to make that decision. And for a lot of things, we simply aren't able to do that.
0: Is it that we're not able to do that yet?
1: There are two separate sorts of complex property that we're looking at assessing here there's one type of property that has so many aspects to it that all need to be measured that we can't quite measure and take into account at the moment but that we can conceivably and inevitably take into account at some point in future and there are some concepts some traits that are just so abstract that we can't even pinpoint what variables would cause us to point to this trait. What aspects of a particular thing being analysed would cause us to make a judgement in favour of this trait, not because of how many of those aspects there are, but simply because we philosophically aren't able to narrow down that decision.
0: Amazing, Dylan. Thank you for giving myself and the listeners such a cogent explanation, the algorithm, and I think algorithms in general. It was great to have you on the show.
1: It's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: So I think Dylan has left us with an important line of questioning, and that is, are there some faculties of human decision making that we must accept are philosophically flawed? And if so, should we favour Error prone human intuition over the accuracy of decision making algorithms, algorithms which would force us to reduce abstract concepts to a set of weighted variables. Thank you for listening to the second episode of the state i'm in podcast if you have any questions please message me via the instagram account the state podcast